Hi everyone, welcome on the official podcast. My name is Alex Apishuk. And I am Peter Schmalfeld, and today we're recording episode number nine. We're far along in here. Um, we got three different time zones today, Olag. I'm pretty happy about it. I know <laughs> uh, it's 8 o'clock a.m. where I am, uh, where our guest is at is 1 o'clock p.m. And then it's 11 o'clock, or sorry, it was 1 p.m. Where, where Rob's at, and then uh, 11 o'clock p.m. Where you are. That's insane, man. This is probably the most diverse uh, time zones I've ever worked with. So can you introduce our guest for us? Sure. Uh, today we have Rob Smith. Uh, Rob is an amazing guy who I know from my previous company. So I'm really glad that he agreed to become our guest. Today we are going to talk about, let's be a secret for now. Let's, Rob, like maybe if at first we can just, in, you can introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you are doing, and how you actually landed up with Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Yeah, sure. No, very happy to be here. So Rob Smith, Executive Director of Commerce at um, OSF. It's a job title that's quite useful, actually. It means I can be in any meeting and no one really questions why I'm there because it doesn't really mean anything. Um, but what I actually do day to day um, is that I'm a, a delivery center director. So look after a portfolio of clients and projects um, on Commerce Cloud B2C. Uh, and we tend to have a small reputation for pushing the uh, boundaries of the platform a little bit every so often. So that's what I do. How did I get here? Um, I started off as uh, a developer. Well, I don't know whether I call myself a developer or, or a kind of hacker of code together. Um, previously, starting in classic ASP, if anyone remembers that, most people won't. Um, then moving on to PHP uh, and then as we hired some more developers, uh, we kind of tapped out. Uh, I tapped out of development because I just wasn't quite good enough. But somehow I became a BC uh, certified architect along the way anyway. Um, and so I like to deal with the uh, the solution side of things. So that's how I got here. Yeah, it's true. Who who doesn't code very well, they become the architects. I know it from my experience. So <laughs> <laughs> that's the difference. Okay. Today's topic will be the unicorn projects. Uh, what what are those unicorn projects? We usually, uh, initially, let's say, doesn't it, those projects that doesn't look like regular fit into the platform landscapes. But if you get the right solution in place, you can get really amazing performing platform and really good value for the business. So with that, Rob, like, what is your experience? Like, what kind of those unicorn projects? you had to deal with and why actually they came into, let's say, commerce cloud world? Yeah, I think it's a really good topic. Um, when, when you look at all the different kind of clients that use Salesforce B2C, there's obviously a really heavy concentration of retail um, in there and just kind of standard apparel case studies. So we're selling a t-shirt, we're selling a dress, we're selling a pair of shoes. We've got to put those things together maybe in some bundles, but that's about as complicated as it gets. And the only kind of complex part of any of those projects tends to be maybe a little back-end integration um, to an ERP or something like that. Um, for whatever reason, uh, projects came across my desk that were slightly unusual at different times. And instead of just thinking, well, maybe this doesn't isn't a good fit for Salesforce B2C uh, because of this, whatever it is, data model or whatever you want to describe. Um, I thought of ways that we could instead try and use 
B2C? How could we use each of the different components to still execute the solution? Um, but as you say, still make it really performant and not actually uh, break the system. We're just kind of bending the system maybe a little bit. Uh, and that's the, uh, that's the way to go. And fortunately, I also have a team around me that are prepared to accept those kind of challenges. Uh, and so now they do exactly the same kind of thing, right? And um, I think most people in the middle of the project might kind of go, why are we doing this uh, exactly? But uh, at the same time, we, we tend to get to a pretty good result. So today, I've got a few different examples uh, that I can, uh, I can talk about. Um, and I might start with one of the museums, maybe. Okay, well, we can start from museums, but you know, when you say that, when you said actually that you're like on the front, I remember like Star Trek, I hope you guys watched Star Trek and there was like, the ship was called Discovery. They were like on the front line, right? They were going when no one were like, ha haven't been before. And then you are there, you're like opening new wars. So you, you kind of, you know, you're like a captain of that ship that actually going somewhere that no one been before. And it was like with the grocery a few years ago, who, who actually could could think about that grocery could run on B2C commerce cloud. Right now, the like number of customers through the world that actually running very, very performing B2C commerce uh, websites. I mean, it's actually when I say websites, I think I'm like underrating. It's not even websites, really like digital, digital channels that even got into the news. I remember I saw somewhere the French article about one customer that was like, it, they they were performing huge because of also of the COVID, but because of the capabilities that B2C Commerce Cloud provided to them. But let's go back to the museum as of now, right? So you said museum, like what does museum sell? They sell like their products? What what then there is products when I, when we think about yeah. the museum? So the yeah, uh, Tate was came to us because they had a, a brief that wanted to bring together their revenue streams. So they had a few different ones. Um, so the first one is actually tickets. So these are timed and dated um, and even ticket types. And I'll talk a bit more about that later. Uh, they have membership, which is the ability to buy something that then renews um, on a yearly basis um, and continues. Uh, then you also have just standard retail products as well. Uh, so you, and even there, things are not quite as they seem because their best selling standard retail product is a custom print, which is actually pick a print, pick a size, pick a various other different um, aspects. So three different things. And why did they come to us? They came to us because they, they really needed um, one platform to do all those things. They could have got their ticketing provider to do tickets. And membership to do membership, but they needed a, an overall view um, so that they could provide a really good customer experience. So that's where it started. Uh, shall I? Yeah, just a question. Like when you say ticketing, does it mean like if I had an event, does it mean I have unlimited tickets or like, and when there are tickets, are there also like some seats? It's like, I don't know. Or it's just like regular because I'm trying to imagine if I'm, let's say it's a museum, they have an event and maybe they have even the chairs. Is, is the solution also include some kind of reservation of the, like of the seats or it was just like through the event? Yeah. I mean, that, that's where the trouble starts really. Uh, it, fortunately it isn't a kind of seated as in row F, um, seat three, uh, because a lot of the events that they run are what is known as exhibitions where you have a big open gallery space 
um, that people walk around. However, there are definitely inventory issues. They can only let so many people in. Um, so the data model is uh, that you have one exhibition that could run over easily a year. So 365 different days, say, and it's open from 9 p.m. until, say, 6 p.m., but it can be different hours on different days. It's split up into uh, time slots, which are normally half an hour each. And then after that, you can buy different ticket types for that time slot. So adults, children, senior, students, all that kind of stuff. So that's the data model that we needed to put into Commerce Cloud. Question, how many inventory files did you have? Like... Uh, only, only, um, it, it's, it's not as bad when you, when you actually break it down. So, for instance, um, to get into the data modeling Commerce Cloud terms, there's no way the normal variant model can cope with that, right? If you multiply 365 by um, 24 time slots by um, all those ticket types, you, 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 the variant model is about 15,000 max variants, something like that, 15,400 or something like that anyway. Um, you end up with something that's 200,000 or so. It, 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 it's too big. So what we ended up doing instead is that um, each exhibition was a category. Each um, day was a product. Each time slot was a variant product. And each ticket type was a product option. And um, so you, you had to, you're still using the same data model, right? So it still works and it's still performant. Um, but you really split it down into, into lots of different things. And you just have to do a lot of front end work um, to hide the complexity, i.e., you don't want to visit a category and just have the days all listed in order. That's obviously going to suck. It's going to look really bad. Um, so instead, we put you know a nice calendar widget. So it was a category, but it was a really sophisticated rendering template um, that split that all down. Uh, unfortunately, on the inventory side, a child is counted just like an adult. So inventory could still sit at variant product level, at time slot level. Uh, and that enabled us to kind of massage this data model and make it work. What does your, uh, your process look like for bringing on a new client like this? It seems like you probably have this fine-tuned uh, where if you're taking on these unicorn-type projects, um, and somebody you know somebody's going to be coming to you and asking you to stretch uh, stretch the uh, what Commerce Cloud can actually do. Good question. Uh, it's not necessarily a, a particularly interesting answer, I don't think. In in that we follow almost our normal kind of process, where we we do have a discovery period at the start of the the project. However, before that discovery period, obviously we need to produce estimates. We need to do all the pre sales um, side of things. And so there, there's a fair amount of brainstorming that takes place to, to vaguely understand how we're going to make this match, right? Or how we're going to, how we're going to execute this. Um, with, with Tate, I think uh, I have to probably admit that, that that process might not have been quite as diligent as maybe it should have been. It was probably more about confidence than it was about certainty, as in, yeah, I'm sure we can make that work. Um, and it was only when we actually got into the project that we kind of went, ooh, um, this is a little bit harder than expected um, in terms of the, the data model um, particularly. Uh, but I think some, something of that is to do with my background and also some of my team's background um, in OSF in that we've, we've done, we've not always been Salesforce Commerce Cloud on its own. You know, if you roll back kind of 10 years, 
plus we were making bespoke solutions um, already. So one of our clients in the UK was um, Laura Ashley, who sadly are no longer trading, um, but they used to have a, a made-to-measure business. And that made-to-measure business was about take a pair of curtains or, or a blind. It was kind of like, I've got this window and, and the, um, we now need to sell them online uh, a window that's you know, a blind that's this wide, this tall. I want the slats to be this big. I want it to be this color. I want it to have strings this side, not that side. You know, all of these kind of different options. And we built a system from scratch um, to do that. So because of that background, we kind of looked and went, we can probably do most things, <laughs> um, it, even if we have to do some stuff off-platform to enable it. But as it turns out, with Tate, for instance, we, we didn't need anything off-platform um, for the main selling process. Rob, you reminded me of my friend back in Japan. Uh, I remember three years ago, we had just a walk on the street while walking and talking about the architecture and generally how what good architect who is a good architect and what he has to know and how he has to design and that time i had i on that time i had my own vision and perspective that good architect is the architect who knows the platform very well he knows exactly what are best practice all this stuff and my friend was arguing with me that actually it's it's not that very good architect should not know the platform he should not know how actually it's working he should know solutions and how the business problem has to be to solve because when he knows the platform very much, he could be biased by the platform itself. So when I hear you, it's actually like, it's reminding me that that kind of uh, thinking that my friend had, because with the Greenfield project that you had, you can go outside outside of like, you know, the, the box that you usually go with the regular projects. If you work all the time with just typical SFCC projects, it's hard for you to look outside of the box and find some you know, nice solutions. But as you said, like with having those greenfields, your team already had a confidence that we can do everything, right? And yeah. I guess I, I just like a question to Peter. Peter, how is it with you? Because I know you also have this like non SF, like years of non SFCC, um, sorry, experience, right? And how that helps you to craft SFCC solutions as well, like non tip, let's say, let's call them. Uh, unicorn solutions. Yeah, that's interesting. So yeah, my background as uh, similar to Rob, actually, I started with PHP and built apps and I, I had a kind of like my own store for making pretty much the same what, what Rob's talking about being known as the uh, a company that can make really random things that are supposed to be impossible. Um, and that transition into mobile and uh, user experience things. And so my background is a lot more in um, that kind of stuff. So, so the the weird aspects of Salesforce are more going to be like um, optimal user experiences and like performance-based things that are supposed to be like, um, just well, example, like how um, when, when you load a bunch of items on a page on mobile, like the having just some basic performance related stuff, but I've had some, some of the customers know that my, that was my background and then have ideas for like, um, how do the, how do you go about doing X? And so the an example would be like, they wanted, they were talking, they had a design team and they really wanted this concept to see if it was possible to do it. And where it was, uh, as you scrolled, they had this, uh, parallax effect at the top of the, of the hero section at the top where somehow they can manage that as in, in their, with their content team. 
where as you scroll, they had multiple layers and they can apply their own effect and do their own like really interesting artistic stuff. And so I did like a mock to show them how they could, how it could work. And then really it would just be like a matter of creating a, a new kind of content asset that would have different types of layers of images and things like that. So they hadn't, it was more of just like, like I know you've got a design background and you've got a development background. There's this thing that we think would be really interesting. Isn't really the current solution for this. Um, is there something that we can build that is a little outside of the box thinking on, on like for, for our own, you know, style and brand that we can, we can incorporate that. So I've been getting a lot more of that kind of stuff where just people know I can build really weird things like that. And then how would I do that with, uh, with Salesforce? Cause it's not normally something that they would do, but it's, it's it does tend to lean more towards like uh, visual and like uh, just custom, custom things that somebody wants to build. Obviously the tooling too, that, you know, I've been building <laughs> it's like to solve problems. That's another thing that, that I've been doing too. So, but yeah, that's more my, my actual background. That's yeah. true. I think oh. I like um, what you were saying about uh, an architect, not having to, do they need to know the platform or not? I think it's, uh, it's a really interesting balance because if you didn't know the platform, you, you definitely couldn't massage the data model to make it work, right? Um, and you could agree to something that just is, is stupid. Um, uh, but at the same time, there is generally a way to do it. I mean, the more we get into headless uh, solutions now in the future, the possibilities actually have opened up really pretty, just very wide, right? We're not constrained anywhere near as much as we used to be. Um, clients are much more happy to go down a headless route. The cost of doing a headless project is much less, you know, um, because more people understand the technology, React, et cetera. So I, I think the future is actually going to be even better for this kind of stuff because um, you, then you're just using the commerce platform as it should be. But at the same time, you know, if you didn't know the platform, you wouldn't be able to go, oh, do you know what? Not many people know about generic maps or mapping managers. And actually, they're really useful uh, for lots of different things. but in a standard retail case, you'd never come across them. So, I don't know, a little bit of both. Okay. I mean, I agree. I guess my point over there was that if you do just commerce cloud and you're an architect, you should spend your time not only for commerce cloud, you should actually spend some time learning other stuff. I don't know. Learn, like, I don't know, spend your time, learn how actually, what, what Magento is doing. Spend your time, look at Spotify, what actually is, uh, I don't know, some Spotify architecture, other stuff. Look what actually Facebook is doing with their DevOps uh, pipelines. And I don't know, just expand, expand your knowledge and think about maybe some out-of-the-box solutions. You mentioned three projects that you have, uh, you can actually share with us. One was the museum. Another, another two, like, are they involving some digital projects? Because for me, I mean, when I think about non-typical commerce cloud projects, I also think about some digital projects, like maybe non, I don't know, non-physical stuff that you can deliver, but maybe like, you know, it's not like something that you ship, but it's something that you actually, I don't know, like you just don't load or get it like some keys for the games, other stuff. Are there like other two projects, something related to it or something different? Uh, well, I, I can talk about them and then we, you, can, you can pick where you want to go. Um, the, one of the other ones is V&A Museum. So it is another museum, but I was going to talk differently about that one. I was going to talk more about the integration side because actually as much as you establish a really great data model inside Commerce Cloud, if you can't get the data in, in, in the right format, in the reasonable to fit your data model, then obviously you're, you're, you're broken. Um, the other one uh, is Gatwick Airport, um, which is... Uh, 
a parking solution. So that is, and it's got order amend and cancel inside it. It's got, um, it's the data model is even more crazy. Uh, so we can maybe we talk about that one a bit later. I don't know. Okay. So question is, so the biggest challenge this with unicorn projects is data model or something else? Because what I heard so far is like the more, like I, I feel at least that the most challenging part is how you actually trying to connect the business processes and like what they have in terms of the data to the as commerce cloud or it's not, or it's maybe something else. No, I mean, in effect, if you can get it in, in a way that's going to be performant and that you can work with, and then you can get it out <laughs> orders and, and products and stuff in a way that's understandable for backend systems, then you're okay. Um, but the, the key is establishing the data model and then trying to connect the two sides uh, effectively. So in um, BNA and Tate, to be fair, they're both very similar. We, we have a process um, for tickets because that ticket model is pretty involved. Um, and the data structure inside the ticketing system, because they do have a back-end ticketing system, uh, is not the same, right? They, they don't look at it that way. They, they look at it in a similar way, but not the same. So Tate, for instance, has um, the museum at the top of the hierarchy, um, and then you have kind of the exhibition, and then you have performances of that exhibition, which is like time, time slots and stuff like that. Um, but it, it's not quite, it's not a match, right? So what we had to do is set up a, um, a middleware, a set of microservices that sit inside Azure. Uh, and those microservices once a day, in the case of products, absolutely smash um, the ticketing APIs to gather all that data, transform it into Commerce Cloud and merge that XML in. So we make XML still because it's the fastest way to get it in. And those files, XML files that we import are several hundred megabytes and they take about 200,000 plus API calls to generate. It, it takes some time, right? It's pretty heavyweight stuff. Um, but that's what we needed to do to, to get the data models to match. Uh, so again, like you were saying, Oleg, you know, I think most of our best developers in some way experiment or have some other knowledge. Either they came from PHP or they like React and they do a bit of that on the side or they're starting to play with GitHub Actions or, you know, any, anything like this um, expands their knowledge and enables us to, to therefore go, do you know what? The best way to do this is put a little microservice in Azure. Let's not try and, you know, no one would think to make 200,000 API calls from Commerce Cloud, right? Not, not going to do it. I'm with you. I know some customers from uh, mobile domain who actually like sell uh, mobile devices, mobile plans, uh, home internet, other stuff, right? So from that domain, they also have uh, commerce cloud. And it's they have a similar design, as you said, with the middleware to change the data because then, let's say, master catalog, and for that, the catalogs, it's not just what you, as a customer, see on the product. But there are other configurations, right? Like modem at home, what modem you have, which ID it has, which cables actually it's using, to which, I don't know, satellites, what satellites ports we have to enable, other stuff, which databases, I have to issue financial account, other stuff, right? There is like so much complexity behind that. So you need this kind of transformation, la transformation layer to simplify the data that actually comes to the commerce cloud and do the similar stuff. So I would say that 
maybe tomorrow those unicorn projects will not be already unicorn projects. It will be like as usual. Okay, yeah, we have a complexity with the business. As of today, you need to have this transformation layer to normalize or maybe simplify the data and do some kind of changes over there. And with that, just a question, like why you guys went with the Azure? Like, I mean, just, I don't know, just curious, like why Azure might be, why not use some kind of MuleSoft, like already built-in solution that can do similar stuff, or maybe just not even Azure, like AVS or like some Google, Google Cloud. Why Azure? Yeah, 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 it's a good question. Um, I mean, there's a relatively easy answer for that one. Uh, both both clients were already using Azure. Oh no, I've got it. I've got it wrong. Actually, sorry. Tate uses Azure, um, but uh, it's AWS over on um, VNA's side side of things. Um, why that instead of MuleSoft or something? I mean, part of it is license. There's a fair license uh, implication of using MuleSoft, uh, but then also we we do have the fact that you want to stand up what's fit for purpose and not what's overkill, if that makes sense. Yeah, it certainly makes sense. So, I mean, if I wanted to talk a little bit about um, Gatwick, uh, or uh, we can talk about Gatwick um, order amend and cancel and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know whether you want to go a different direction. No, we like it. You know, we, we, we came here today to talk about the Unicorn project. So whatever you have to you know to share with us we 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 all here so i don't know if peter doesn't have any other questions before we go to the, the gatwick peter what do you say go to the gatwick or another question uh i had a just in between question that just popped in my head <laughs> um i'm curious so far if you if you've come across a project in in your um uh, in your line of work where you're like no we can't do that like, or what's the closest one that you were like, I don't think that's possible. Like, <laughs> and why, why did you think that originally? And then how did you overcome it? Yeah, that is a good, that is a good question. Um, as, as time has moved on, um, I've certainly got to the point where it's, it's not necessarily whether it's possible is the question. It's whether you should, um, whether it's a good idea. So, so for instance, um, we do have had some projects come our way. Um, where it's a very specific vertical um, that has very specific requirements. Uh, and I mean, let, in fact, let's continue the ticketing example because I've, I've spoke about it a bit. We've had some ticketing stuff come our way where there was no reason for Commerce Cloud within the mix. So this, this business was just selling tickets and nothing else. And um, so the vertical solutions in that marketplace where they have, um, uh, I've got a little bit of background noise going on from a, uh, it's gone now. Um, those vertical solutions in that marketplace are really fit for purpose. Quite often they're nice modern front ends that are selling these tickets. Uh, but the issue that you've got there is that you put Commerce Cloud in front of it and all of a sudden you've got a really heavyweight Commerce engine sitting on top of a ticketing system that could have done the job already. Um, and, and you've just got an overcomplicated stack. It doesn't, it doesn't actually make sense. And therefore, from a commercial point of view, we're never going to win it. That's the other thing. Um, we're not going to win that because the, the ticketing company will go, well, you can license our software and we'll charge you just a little bit more to use our web front end. Um, and you kind of like, so that's going to cost less than half. 
what, what do we get with Commerce Cloud? Well, you get a slightly overcomplicated solution. <laughs> um, and you just, so that doesn't make sense. Where it does make sense is when you're selling something else, you're selling membership, you're selling retail as well. You want an overall experience. You want to discount one product with the other. You want to bundle them together and they're coming from separate places. You know, it, so it, the only question is should as opposed to is it possible? I don't, I don't think there's many challenges that aren't possible. You know, if you look at the kind of stuff that we do these days in the world, um, you know, from, from going to space years and years ago to electric cars to auto assist and not killing people and whatnot. I think we can solve most e-commerce problems uh, <laughs> within within the world uh, on that basis. So it's just a question of should, and then obviously there's normally budget and time. Just those small things. Yeah, I agree. You know, and like when now we speed up a kid and all the headless movement is like more those kind of projects that before we're looking as complicated, now actually could get much easier because you can just delegate some pieces not to commerce cloud but to other stuff other platforms that might potentially do it's better or solve the problem in the better way so you can still have your head that will provide amazing uh, ui ux experiences you have commerce cloud who can do the best in its class which is actually at least for me so promotions promotions engine like it's one of the best of the cl in the class and then when you can have einstein and other stuff right and then i don't know I know what's actually, yeah, if there are other platforms that something uh, better in commercial, that Commerce Cloud is doing, should be. I mean, we are not in the perfect world, right? There, there are platforms that are doing better stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And, you know, there's, there's, there's a bit of catching up to do um, from Commerce Cloud B2C uh, in terms of, you know, some of the, we look at some of the headless APIs and, you know, they're iterating quickly and, and we know that that needs a, a little bit more work. But... You've still got Open Commerce API, which is still an incredibly capable um, piece of kit that's been around, well understood. Um, I mean, that's another thing that actually we uh, we use it a little bit, but we we on those these projects I'm talking about, we probably haven't tapped that out because you know all the hooks and everything involved in those. You know, there's a lot you can do uh, do there. But I mean, Gatwick's um, order amend and cancel. Uh, you know, you're not meant to. You're not meant to amend or cancel um, orders within Commerce Cloud. You're not meant to edit them. Do you know what I mean? Just, just what are you talking about? Um, kind of question. Uh, but with, so, how did you solve it? Well, with, Is, the, with that, it's, it's, it, it's again, it's a relatively easy solution as long as you plaster over it with decent front end. Um, so, for instance, the, the client wanted one order reference. So, if they amended it, they kept their order reference um, all the way through. Um, but that's quite easy because you just add a custom attribute for that particular reference and then you've got several orders underneath, right? And you just plaster over that with the front end. So effectively, it's a, it's a cancel and rebook model. Um, you just cancel one order and create a new order. And then through custom attributes, you create a chain so that you can see the chain of um, difference. Uh, between the orders and what happened. The only big complication there is that they didn't want to refund the whole previous order and charge it again. Because if you do that to a customer, they get the next charge, but they don't get the refund for a week. So they're a few hundred pounds out of pocket easily because of the way and payments work. And could be the fee as well, right? Because usually when you have that PSP systems, you, you have kind of those uh, number of orders, Depends, of, of, of course, of the provider, but you might have, I don't know, let's say you have a contract that you will not exceed 1 million of transactions per, 
per month. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? Like fee, other stuff. It could yeah. be the same. And when you said that without refund, it's actually similar to what I what I seen for a few customers again from the mobile when you can do the recontract, right? When you can, uh, I don't know, upgrade to some plans that you want to do. If they want to simplify the process, they behind the scene that just cancel and issue new. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. It, it's, so the, it's, it's the easiest way. Cancel new one. Yeah, so that's that's what we did. The only difference being the payments have to be separate. So you only charge the little bit extra or charge the little um, refunded the little bit under, and that did create some kind of reconciliation fun and games um, between the, the different orders. Um, but obviously the the front end of this whole thing has to be completely custom. You know, it's it's an SFRA based project, but not really. It's um, <laughs> there's not much of it left. Um, maybe a little bit of the basket. Uh, and I think that's one of the other things that um, I'd be uh, focusing on if I was uh, architects now is is just not to not to think within the platform, right? It's just kind of you know not to think within the reference application as well. We're going to find this with PWA Kit as well. You know, they've been everyone will be given a reference application. It's like PWA Kit does this, PWA Kit does that, and um, and sales are going to be like oh. The more we customize, the more expensive it is. And it's like, yes, but let, let's think about the right solution first. Not let's just try and use, you know, everything shouldn't start with what does PWA kit do? Do, do you know what I mean? That's, that's basically what yeah, I'm saying. That's my follow-up question, actually, related to that. Uh, we, we talked with Drew on a previous episode about Headless um, and then what, what its capabilities are and how customers and client, you know, clients can use it to be really super creative to kind of go outside of the confines of, of Commerce Cloud. But I wonder, in in your opinion, if that's it's kind of a two part question. One would be: Is the confines of of the current you know Salesforce reference architecture actually a good thing in some cases, where headless is kind of like you can do whatever you want, as you said earlier, uh, and then it might be tempting for people to literally do whatever they want and then spend too much time over engineering. Uh, and then not just you know, as you correctly said, should should we do this versus could we do this? Um, and that balance, I feel like there's 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 probably going to be some stumble area for people where they might decide to go headless where they probably sh shouldn't have. And then, you know, vice versa, like just as a platform, like uh, what your thoughts are on that? Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting question. Uh, inevitably, there'll be some people that go headless that, that maybe could have been fine on a on a kind of more standard approach. The, the, the only thing I've got with that, though, is that it opens up more possibilities. I mean, like take Contentful as a CMS system. It's it's pretty good. It's pretty capable. Or Ampliance, you know, these kind of proper headless CMSs. Um, and if they want to use that content in their mobile app as well and create consistency and all that kind of thing, then you're kind of pushing towards that headless route a, a little bit more, in, in my view anyway. I, I do think within two, three years, the, the maybe even less, could be 18 months to two years, the standard project will be a PWA-based reskin, as opposed to anything to do with SFRA. I just, I just, I, I just don't see it as much anymore. Um, and I think it, need, it it needs to go that direction because the the result will be better. Um, we can customize the front end faster. Uh, you, the developer market will be more open and wider, so you don't have to have that SFCC knowledge because loads of developers now. If I'm in a if I'm a React developer and I want to do cool stuff. I'm going to look at the SFCC platform and go, no thanks. <laughs> um, whereas if all they need to learn is the is the API, 
just like any other commerce platform or content platform or whatever, think things are going to get a bit cooler, and, that, and I think that that's going to be going to be pretty useful. And clients should always be kind of controlled a little bit, maybe, but maybe that's hard. I mean, if you get a really brand-led client, it's like, no, I want the logo to be one pixel smaller and ever so slightly to the right. Um, and I don't think you understand what we mean by uh, black. I, I, you know, this this kind of thing. Um, headless stuff can be so much better for them because they've got the limits just aren't aren't there in in the same way, um, and it's not quite as expensive. I don't think long term to alter. Yeah, what I like also about this one that it's actually like you just need to hire some React developers. So that's it, and just maybe one week onboarding just to show them APIs, to <laughs> explain them. That the model. This is like what brands will think. I swear. Like, look, maybe there are a few brands that kind of potentially think already, but like in a few months they will think like this. Okay, I have PWA, like the headless approach. It's React based. Fine. I will just get React developers, and we will craft the solution like in in few weeks and done. Go go online. Right. That will be in all the minds of uh, anyone. But. I do agree even for the all the complex one because even as you said to manage the content and it's also for IoT and all the way where we're going, right? I will have on the fridge, you know, I mean, in a few years, all fridges, all modern fridges will have that. I think I already talked about this in one of the previous podcasts, but they will have a screen that will scan all the products, right? And I will say, okay, let me do this, this, this. And maybe I'll have already predefined integration with some careful, let's say it would be careful, right? Because I buy everything from careful, potentially. I'm, I'm not buying from careful. I'm buying from Wolfworth here in Sydney. But anyway, mm -hmm. my point is that you'll have this kind of experiences that will be not just like laptop and phone, but there will be any digital screen that they can touch, see, yeah. or even talk with. Well, a simple example, I mean, we're, we're currently developing some headless stuff for uh, Nintendo. And um, I, the reason they wanted to go headless uh, as soon as possible is because their consoles are also going to be head, ahead, right? The, the store on the console is ahead, um, just like the website is ahead, just like their mobile app is ahead, right? Um, so to, to have any other kind of, Setup just really doesn't make a lot of sense, but we should also recognize there's two flavors of headless, right? That there is the PWA kit kind of out the box, slightly constrained approach to headless with B2C because you can't install any library you like, you can't use any framework you like, you know, it, it, it's got limits. Um, but then you can go proper headless, if I could <laughs> call it that for whatever reason, where you know we're, pick, we're using Vercel and we're using um, Next.js. And that kind of thing, and that's the that's the stuff that we're using for that. And developers are even more excited about that because they're even more off, off the chain, so to speak. Wait, Next.js is React based, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, you still hire React developers. Well, okay, well, one more week extra. Bam, you have. But clients have always been like this, Oleg. So you know, previously clients have gone, oh, just find a couple of SFCC developers and employ them in house. And you know they start putting inline JavaScript and CSS and content content assets, and then everything starts to explode, and they wonder what happened. It's happened forever. <laughs> oh, I know that. I know those clients when they like they have those teams that actually like you open the assets. Oh, we have very slow assets. Why? Like I don't know. Can you review and improve performance? You go over there and you see like I know hundreds of inline JavaScripts in the assets when platforms still allow that. A lot of CSS or like everything's like, and you like look at this like, 
Yeah. Yeah, you just yeah. Need, just need the uh, important with the exclamation mark on the C all the CSS, right? No, no. <laughs> control A, delete, Control S. <laughs> Start again. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's true. It's true. So I, I, I still think you, you, all the same issues will probably still be the same issues, just different technology, right? True. Okay. I actually loved a lot what we spoke today. We, I mean, we touched a lot of different stuff. We spoke about three different customers, about data modeling, about the integrations, about also the ticketing system, how we can even manage the orders. Uh, I don't know, some jokes, other stuff between the, between the topics, which I really loved. It was super interesting. Rob, look, we usually have this, what I call prime time, but Peter, doesn't like to comment it's prime time. He he would just use it like message to the community. Uh, okay, you don't see it, but Peter is actually shaking his head, right? So he potentially doesn't agree. And it's good, right? We don't need to agree with each other all the time. That's why we are running it together. So anyway, Rob, like it's it's our prime time. It's a message to the community. So do you have anything you want to convey to anyone who hearing us today? Yeah, sure. I, I two things really. And one is simple, and the OSF is always hiring and looking for good people. So feel free to talk to me. And um, the second thing is to, and it comes back to your point earlier, Oleg, more than more than anything. I think I, I've really enjoyed doing these kind of slightly off the wall projects uh, because they're more of a challenge, right? And most of the team that have implemented them that I talk to afterwards are just like, "Wow, that was a crazy project," but it was the one I enjoyed the most. Right. Um, so I think it's to it's to not accept um, just all the boring kind of projects. And, and if you are an architect or a developer, to, to think of that in a, in a wide sense. You know, I, I develop solutions, I architect solutions, not I'm a Salesforce commerce B2C architect, because at that point you, you've made your world too small. So that, that, that's all I'd say. Thank you. Peter, what do you think about like that small small circle that Rob mentioned about Justice FCC. Like, do you agree or disagree? What's your point? I can go either way, man. <laughs> we can talk another hour about this for real. Okay, cool. I think that will be just maybe another podcast we can organize with Rob, you and me, and just talk about like the circle and what could be like father, father, father planets, other spaces in I don't know universes with other stuff that actually could help us uh, to craft the best business solutions to help our customers uh, whom we are dealing on our day-to-day -day basis. Anyway, what I want to say, thank you, Rob, for the great podcast. Thank you for being our guest today. Thank it's you. It's been an absolute pleasure, Oleg. Thank you very much. And thank you, Peter, as always, for hosting it together with me. Everyone, thank you once again and see you in the next podcast. See you guys.